Heavenly Father, we're thankful for just the opportunity to set aside some time in the midst of our week to refocus on you, to refocus on the things that are important, onto the path and the type of life you are calling us to chase after. Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Cameron as he has prepared to uh, give your word today. Lord, I pray that you would press upon his spirit what you would have him say and what you would have him not say. Lord, that he might be in submission to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that we as a congregation, as a people, would be tender-hearted, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be softened by your word for us today. Lord, we trust you to um, steward your word and for it to not come back empty, Lord. God, might you be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey, leave that here for a second. Here you go. Yeah. Sign flipper. Yes. <laughs> so yes, you heard Pastor Luke. Uh, you heard Pastor Luke talking about how community is the context for growth, right? Or or the environment or the place where growth happens the most, right? And there there is also content for growth, right? So what when we're when we're talking about community, when we're talking about small groups, when we're talking about growth in um, growth in faith, we have a context, we have a place that that happens, right? And we've, like we've said numerous times before, and that like Pastor Luke shared this morning, that we grow, we grow best in groups, not in rows, right? So we grow, we're going to grow the best when we're together in a group, not when we're sitting shoulder to shoulder to one another in a row. And so we have to think of this not as our primary context for growth, but as our secondary context for growth and then our time together with a small group of believers actually becomes the primary environment where we grow as we uh, allow the holy spirit of god to use the content of growth his word uh, to transform who we are to transform our lives right and so uh, when we talk about spiritual growth we talk about environment or context and we talk about content or information. And we talk about the Word of God. Um, as we shared with you last week, it's always, it's always my commitment to share with you, uh, to communicate in the best ways that I'm able to, uh, the content of God's Word. Right? And whether or not the content of, those, the content of that message is uh, uh, difficult uh, to for to process through or to apply to our lives or to hear or whether it is a relatively like yeah you know I'm uh, this is an area of my life and my um, and my faith development that I I feel like I got I got down pretty well and it's not really difficult to me for me to hear we have those areas too all right um, did you know that not everything right not every you, you're not positively affected by the word of God only when um, it feels like you're getting hit by a two by four with it all the time, right? You know that the, uh, that the, that the word of God, uh, yes, is described as something that pierces down deep into us, right? But that God does not intentionally create pain, right, in, in, in our lives through his word 
to produce transformation, right? That he wants, to, he wants us to hear his Holy Spirit and he wants us to hear his word. And sometimes that word comes as a sort of as like a gentle whisper and sometimes it comes as a two by four upside your dome, right? So uh, I don't know which one it is for you today or in this series. Um, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but my prayer, whatever it is, is that you would hear the voice of the Lord as the word is proclaimed to you. We're in this uh, series called Overflow, and uh, last week we talked about how it, how we often, or how there is a a human um, a human tendency to gravitate towards or to drift towards a mammon lifestyle rather rather than a manna lifestyle, right? And do you remember? Those of you who were here last week, remember the difference between mammon, which Jesus uses as a description of possessions in Matthew chapter 6, and manna, which we see as a gift of God's provision in Exodus chapter 16. Raise your hand if you remember. Remember the difference even? Okay. So for those of us who weren't, and because it's in my sermon notes, so I'm going to say it anyway, um, Mammon is what? Mammon is when we have an abundance of resources, right? Resources up to, like, up to the top. But all of our trust and dependence is in the resource rather than the one who has given it to us, right? So we trust in the thing. We trust in the gift rather than trusting in the giver, and we lean all of our trust and all of our dependence and all of our hope for the future upon the things that we have, forgetting that, as Jesus described in Matthew chapter 6, that the material possessions of our lives are subject to the same elements as everything else, where moths will destroy thieves, moths and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, right? So mammon is a life that is centered around possession, but not centered around the trust and dependence that we have in the one that gives to us what we have, right? On the other side of that coin is a similar sounding word, although there's not actually a real connection there, is a word called manna, or a thing called manna, which we see exemplified in Exodus chapter 16, right? Where the uh, the Israelites they have left the they have left captivity in Egypt. They are going into the Promised Land. They are without food and they are grumbling to the Lord and grumbling to exit or and grumbling to Moses. We have nothing, Lord. Where are you? We are we are starving. Our 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 the provision for our life is in lack. And so the Lord says, okay. I will provide for you this food from heaven, this, this bread from heaven called manna. But here's, here is the caveat. It's going to be on the ground every single morning. Go out and gather as much as you need for the day. Every person in your household gathers as much as they need for the day. And don't gather any more than you can use in a single day, Right? If you do, you're going to wake up the next morning and you're going to find that that extra provision that you have tried to squirrel away 
has, has, has maggots in it and is rotten and full of mold. Because what the Lord wanted to impress upon the people in that moment is that day by day, even moment by moment, that he, and not the manna, that he was the source of their provision. That, that apart, apart, from his, uh, apart from his grace that went before them to provide the need for tomorrow, they would have nothing. And the more and more they tried to rely on their own ability to control, to, um, to gather, to create abundance, the more, and, the more and more their trust in his daily provision diminished. Right? So we, uh, as, as people of faith, right, as people who, who love God more than we love his gifts, right, who desire God uh, in his character and in his nature rather than simply the things that he has to offer us, right? we want to position our hearts so that we're all the time, in every moment, as much as we're able, focusing on our tr focusing our trust and dependence on him as a person, him himself, rather than on what he gives. We live a manna lifestyle rather than a mammon lifestyle. Um, uh, the second main point from last week, and want to wrap back around to this, is how our how are our trust and dependence in things affects God's trust and dependence in us, right? And the question that we left with at the end of last week was, can God trust you with more than you have right now? Can God trust you with more than you have right now? Have you shown yourself to be faithful with what he has entrusted to you. Meaning, are you, are, are you showing that what you, that what, that, that what God has entrusted to you is being put to good use so that you're positioning your life to receive additional from him um, that you might use it in a way that is glorifying and pleasing to him. So this week, I want to talk to you. We're going to look at a story out of the book of, or the letter to the Corinthian church from Paul. And, um, and it's a really interesting little piece of scripture. It's an interesting letter because of the really specific example that Paul, Paul uses here. Um, today, I want, to, I want to talk a little bit, I want to talk a lot a bit about generosity, okay? Um, in fact... I, I really tried to like, like um, distill this down into like, I don't know, some biblical number like seven or three or 12. I couldn't get anywhere. So today we're going to have 11 points about generosity. Okay. I couldn't get to 12. I didn't want to make something up. I had more than seven, right? And three was totally out of the question. So 11, 11 principles for generosity out of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Are you ready? Okay. All right. I'll just start by saying this. Um, 
and you can hear, you can listen as you're flipping in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to also have it up here on the screen for you, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be. But here's the thing, all right? Um, Christians should be the most generous people on the face of the earth. The most generous. There should, be, there should be no demographic of people anywhere, ever, in all time, in any place, ever, that should be more generous with everything that we have about our lives or in our lives than Christians. There should not be a group of people, there should not be a cause, there should not be anything, right, that can compare to the generosity of those who express faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Um, and what, we'll, what we're going to see here in a minute is that our, our generosity towards others is an overflow of God's generosity to us in Jesus Christ, right? That our generosity comes from a place of witnessing and seeing the generosity that has been extended to us from God through Jesus, okay? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What is the background of this, uh, part, this particular part of Scripture? Well, we know that Paul was a church planter, meaning that he was a guy he traveled around the Mediterranean area and he would preach the gospel and he would proclaim that, that, that salvation was, only, was found only through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and when he would go into a city and he would preach the gospel and people would, would believe by faith in that message, then Paul would, he would disciple and raise up leaders there in that city and in that church, and those leaders would then lead that church, and then he would travel around to other cities, and he would preach and proclaim the gospel, and leaders there would be risen up, and, and, and a church would be established there. And so we have all of these little dots around the Mediterranean Sea um, of churches that Paul traveled around and planted, or he sent those whom he discipled into the faith to go plant. So if you've ever wondered where all of these books in the New Testament come from, books like Romans, um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? These are all cities in the Mediterranean, where Paul was kind of like the apostle that started the church there, all right? And when, um, and, and Corinth, the city of Corinth, the letters to the Corinthians, right? The city of Corinth was a, uh, a pretty big and important um, city in the Mediterranean Sea because it was a, it was a port city, meaning that it was, a, a, it was a city that was central to trade, and because it was central to trade, like many other cities of its time and even today, it was kind of a city that was a little bit ahead of its time. 
It was pretty cosmopolitan, right? Even for the ancient Near East. And, um, and because, uh, because it was kind of ahead of its time, it was also a city where there was a lot of um, economic prosperity. People there had a lot of money, right? They were very rich. Um, but there was a time, the t- at the time that Paul was writing this letter, the Corinthians had already received by faith the gospel of Jesus. And there was a church there, and they were growing, and they were going through growing pains. And some of the things that they did, Paul was like, uh, stop now, right? And some of the things that they did were like, hey, you guys, like, you're doing great. Like, keep growing, keep listening to the Lord. Here's some direction. Here's some guidance for you. Um, but but uh, what he was trying to get the Corinthians to do was to recognize that one of the primary reasons that they were Christians themselves was because there was another church in another city who at one point said, you know what, Paul? The message of the gospel is so important. And, and, and the proclamation of the gospel is so urgent to the unbelieving world that I don't care how poor we are. You tell us what you need in order to get you and your friends to the city of Corinth to preach the gospel there, and we will make it happen. We will make it happen. We will push all of our chips into the table of the urgent, urgent need to get the gospel spread in all of the known world, right? And you would think that, wow, the Macedonians, they must be loaded with money if they were able to fund this missionary journey of Paul's. But what we see and we're going to see in the letter to the Corinthians is that the Macedonian churches were actually some of the most poor people in the Mediterranean world. That they had virtually nothing. And look at the way that Paul, Paul basically, Paul basically is like this. He's like, hey, Corinthians, um, I just want to let you know that the Macedonians, like, use them as an example of how to be generous so that the gospel can be spread. So that's what he, that's where we're at. Okay. So this is the, this then is the message that Paul sends to them in this regard. We're going to read two main sections of scripture. And then we're going to backtrack into it, okay? Um, So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. We'll read the first, let's say the first 15 verses here. Uh, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. 
and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring about or to bring also uh, to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as just as you excel in everything, as you excel in faith, as you excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, or is that, so, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are being hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. All right, so we suspect from our study kind of of the timeline of where Paul and how Paul wrote his letters and where they went, right, that Paul, um, that Paul was calling on the Corinthian church to essentially fulfill the promise that they had made to support a future or upcoming missionary journey of his. We also suspect based on the, like, the evidence of the dating of this letter and other letters that Paul wrote, that the missionary journey that he was likely referencing was his trip to Rome. The, the, the proclamation of the trip to Rome, or the proclamation of the gospel in the city of Rome among Roman Christians. And so he comes to the Corinthians, he's like, hey guys, um, you remember how you had said that you would like to support, you had made this promise to support the ongoing proclamation of the gospel in the Mediterranean world. I want to go to, I, we want to go to Rome to do that. And I want to remind you of that promise that you made, hint, hint. And I'm sending Titus to kind of, to kind of give you the ability to complete that promise. And, and I want you to be reminded that it is out of the poverty of the Macedonian churches that the gospel came to you Right? So let's go. Let's get on this. Let's get, let's get, let's get with this here. Um, Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to fulfill their promise of generosity on behalf of future missionary journeys. 
So I want to dissect a little bit here these, um, these verses in chapter 8, right? And then we're going to move into chapter 9 because Paul continues with the same message there. But if you remember last week, we, talk, uh, we talked about this already, about our trust and dependence in the things that we have versus our trust and dependence in the person that has given them to us, in a God that has provided them for us. Um, I know... I know in I know in my life um, I suspected in yours I suspected in all people's lives right that there is always some level of um, call it call it wrestling right um, or discernment that each and every one of us needs to do in order to not over trust or over depend upon the material possession that we have in our life. And this is, I said this last week, and I'll say it this week, and I'm going to say it next week when we talk about the, um, uh, the, the dreaded T word that no one in church ever wants to talk about, right? Tithing. We talk about tithing next week, what it is, where it came from, what its purpose is in the, in the life of the, of the believer in the life of the church. But, um, but I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that what we are not talking about here. What we're not talking about is that is that God is calling every single Christian person to a life of material poverty. That God doesn't want you to have anything. That God wants you um, materially with a with a very low level of um, of possession or money. That if you have a that if you have a really good job and you've worked really hard and you uh, make a lot of money, that somehow you are really far away from the things of the Lord because of how like the the amount of your the financial provision that's in your life. That's not what we're saying at all. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what your pastor teaches, and I don't want you to hear that, right? What the Scripture overwhelmingly communicates time and time and time and time again is no matter what the level of our provision, way up here or way down here, that our trust and dependence is always on the one that provides everything rather than on the nature of the provision itself. We do not trust in the gift we trust in the giver, right? We do not trust in we do not trust in material possession or wealth. We trust in him. But this is difficult, is it not? No? Just for me? Okay. It's just difficult. Okay, so it's just let's say I'll, say I'll just say sometimes it's difficult for me, right? Because I will look at things like my I will look at things like, well, okay, I have a house. Wow. I got a place to live tonight, right? Like I, you know, I, I, I work hard and I pay for my mortgage and I pay for my bills and now I, I have this place or I have a job and I get a paycheck and so now I can, uh, I can buy these things, not, not, not only just the things that we need, but maybe the things that we want too, right? Um, the, things that, the things that are fun or the comfort items or this, like, right? And you get into this place of being like trusting this and you're trusting that and you're trusting this and you're trusting that. You're not thinking about where it's coming from. You're not thinking about how it was provided to you through the grace of the Lord. You're only thinking about like, wow, all of these things is re are really, 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 really great. And sometimes you get in cycles of forgetting that 
the Lord is extraordinarily good and gracious to us, right? That, that all that we have, right, that, is, that it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being and that all that we have comes from him. And, um, and I am, I am um, wanting always the Lord to snap me back to attention if I begin to over-trust in things and under-trust in Him. And sometimes He does that when, like, you get to the end of the money and there's a lot of months left. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, whoops, right? <laughs> um. And it's like a, okay, quick realignment of like, what in the world was I doing this month? Where was my head? Where was my heart? Where was my understanding? Okay. Um, but listen, the whole, the whole point of this message today is this, is that I believe that God gives us the opportunity to be generous as a way for us to protect ourselves from over-trusting in possession. That, that generosity is actually a self-regulating tool to keep us from relying fully on merely the gift for getting the giver. Because it allows us to step into a place of acting as a conduit, eh? Huh? <laughs> a conduit of blessing, right, that comes from the Lord and is passed on to others. And also, it helps us to self-regulate the abundance of, of possession without understanding the responsibility that comes with receiving that abundance. In a minute, we're going to talk about what the, um, what the overall goal is of the provision that God um, entrusts us with or blesses us with. And I will tell you that the overall goal is not to protect it. The overall goal is not even to steward it. Okay? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But listen, being sacrificially generous is a way to self-regulate the fleshly pursuit of trusting in the things of this world instead of the Lord. If you, are, if you are asking the Holy Spirit of God to continually develop in you both an awareness of and a heart of being generous to all people on all occasions, it will become very, very difficult for you to trust in riches that you're always trying to give away, that you're always trying to pass on that you're always trying to bless someone else with, right? And so, and so in the midst of the very real, sometimes difficulty in over-trusting in the things that we have, God has given us the grace and gift of generosity as a self-regulating tool to ensure that we have a pathway or a conduit to use it for others' good and God's glory. And understand this very clearly. This is, my, this is point number two. Did we get the first of 11 points on generosity, right? 
Listen, I tried. I tried to do 12. Generosity is the way that we protect ourselves from overtrusting in possession, number one. There it is. Number two, right? That generosity is a gift of God's grace. We see that in our scripture from this morning in two separate places of what we just read. The first is verse one. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, right? That, that, uh, that their generosity, right? And in verse seven as well. But just as you excel in everything, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving, okay? Verse one and verse seven of 2 Corinthians chapter eight is this. What is the point? Is that generosity, like many things, is something that the Lord enables in us and that we must develop as a gift and grace to become better at it, okay? That, that generosity isn't actually or isn't normally a, a, um, a natural disposition of our heart and of our spirit, right? We, we naturally, in our flesh, do not want to take the things that we have, that we have earned, that are ours, that we own, us, like we're, we've independently gathered these things, they are ours, we don't naturally, in our flesh, want to freely give those to others. We want them for us. They're for our provision. They're for our good. They're for our blessing. They're for our favor. It's for my family. It's for me. It's, for th- it's mine, right? Now, what, what Paul goes on to say is that the Macedonian churches have, have both been given this special grace, but also have obviously accepted it and lived into this grace of giving, They have allowed the Holy Spirit of God to take the natural inclination of their lives, which is to hoard, and transform it into a spiritual inclination to use everything that has been given to them for the blessing of others. How can we bless you? 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 How can we support this very important work that you are undergoing, Paul? We are here for it. All right. So, so listen, if you are in a place, receive this as the gentleness of the Lord. Okay. If you are in a place where you're like, yeah, you know what? Um, that's me. I am not a very generous person. I, I, I can freely admit that there is something inside of me that wants to hold on to everything that I have. White knuckle type of holding on. Not letting it go. Maybe out of fear that I'm not going to have enough in the future. Uh, Maybe out of bitterness that who deserves what I've worked very hard for. Or some other reason, okay? Um, Maybe maybe you are a person who could freely admit internally, like, like, listen, what I have is mine, period, end of sentence, end of story. Stop talking about it, pastor, okay? Um, I won't. First of all, second um, is this: is that 
see, I believe that the, that the Holy Spirit is imparting and implanting the grace of God in every Christian's heart to be the most generous person in the room all of the time, right? All the time, right? And so, and so take this as both the hope of the gospel and the gentleness of the Lord, that if you are in a place of being like, man, yeah, I'm hard-hearted toward generosity. I don't know why I am, but I don't really want to be. Listen, ask the Lord to increase the grace given to you the same way that he gave grace to, uh, of generosity to the Macedonians so that your heart may be broken from its hardness and that you can experience the same overflowing joy, it says, that the Macedonians experienced as they gave generously to this mission. So two things. Generosity is the way that we protect ourselves from over-trusting and possession. Number two, generosity is a gift of God's grace, right? It's not natural to us. We must receive the gift of generosity from the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to nurture that gift within us. Number three, Listen, generosity, this is, you got to get this one, okay? You have got to get this one. Generosity is an orientation and trajectory of the heart, not the wallet. It is a deep desire to give based on what I do have, not a preoccupation with what I do not have, okay? Oftentimes, right, we come to a place of an opportunity to be generous and we gauge, right, how much we have versus how much we don't have, right? And if we naturally don't have a lot, we assume that because we don't have a lot, we're not able to be generous, I can't be generous because I don't have a lot, right? In fact, I, I'm, I'm a person of very small means. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of possession. I don't have a lot of financial resource. Or maybe I do, but my, I'm, I'm living way beyond my means, right? And so I don't have anything left over in order to be generous, right? And so we immediately think, we, we immediately compare what I do have versus what I don't have. And we say, well, since I don't have a lot, I am not able to be generous. And here's what I want you to hear, that generosity, uh, generos nowhere in generosity do we have a measurement of, is there a measurement of how much we have versus how much we do not have. We're going to look, go back to our scripture again. Paul Paul exhorted the Corinthians on generosity using the Macedonians as an example. And he says this, out of the most severe trial, verse 2, their overflowing joy and their what? Extreme what? Riches? Poverty. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Talk about grace from the Lord, 
They gave, they gave beyond their ability. If we go over into verse 12, we see the same thing. Paul says the same thing again, right? Um, he says, for if the willingness, right, the willingness to give is there, if the willingness of generosity is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what they do not have. Okay? We're going to talk about a story next week about um, the widow's might or the widow. It's a story um, from the life of Jesus, right? It's in the Gospels about how Jesus witnessed a widow put in two copper coins into the temple treasury. And he says that's all she had to live on. It's all. But then a rich Pharisee was there and put in a huge sum of money. And he said, essentially said, that it was the widow who had given more or whose gift was more blessed, so to speak. Why? Because she gave from a heart of generosity, understanding that it doesn't matter how much I have or don't have, it's my heart's orientation to the Lord and to others that matters. Whereas a person who gives out of their extraordinary wealth, but does so from a measure of like, hey, just look at what I'm doing here. They're not experiencing or expressing a generous heart or generous spirit. So our generosity is an orientation and trajectory of our hearts, not our wallets. It's not a measure. We can't be, we can't be, you're not going to be, listen to this, is you will not become a more generous person when you have more things. You will not. You, if you're saying to yourself and to others, someday when I get a promotion, someday when I make a lot of money, like a lot of money, someday when I make this or I have that or I do this or I do that, then, then I'm going to be generous. Um, you are not going to be generous then. Right? Because generosity is not a measure of how much we have or do not have. Generosity is a measure of our heart. And if we are not generous in our poverty, you will not be generous in your wealth. We will become more generous when we allow the Spirit of God to transform our hearts and shift our perspectives, not when we get a bump in our pay. Some of the most generous people that I have been around in my life are the people with the least financial means. The most generous people I have ever, ever met are the people who didn't have two pennies to rub together. One, one in particular, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. I have a picture uh, to bring up for you. This kid here... Um, Hey, look at that. Um, this kid here, this is in the city of Tegucigalpa, Honduras. All right? Um, this kid here, well, I think he's 17 years old in this pic. His name is Adonai. Very cool name. Uh, his name is Adonai. And it kind of cuts off at the bottom. But you can see on my right foot that I am wearing a custom-made soccer cleat. Soccer shoe. I played soccer my entire life. 
I went to college and played soccer on scholarship there. Soccer is a huge part of my life. And when I was in Honduras, I played soccer with these kids out in there, um, out in a dirt road, right? Where the goal was an old coffee can that you had to knock over with the ball. And um, this kid in particular was very good at soccer. Um, and he happened to work in uh, a neighborhood where they had a custom soccer cleat little business. And they made, they made cleats for people, right? Very, very nice, very high quality. I've worn them all my life, and I can tell you these were some of the nicest soccer shoes I've ever seen. And uh, afterwards, he wanted to give me a tour of the place because he worked there. And he took me back and he showed me everything and he showed me where he worked. And then he, he, he took out of this countertop, this shelf, he took out this pair of shoes, the soccer cleats, that he made with his own hands, right? And he said, these are for you. I want you to have these. And, um, and I was like, no, like, oh, oh, well, thank you. Like, no, how, how much are they? I'm happy to pay for them. Like, this is great. This is great. Uh, I love this opportunity to do this. He's like, no, 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 no. I work here. I've already talked to my boss. Um, the, these shoes are coming out of my wages. I want, I want you to have them because, like, you've really impacted my life. I really appreciate you playing soccer with me. Thank you for everything that you've done. Like, take these and go. Listen, This kid had nothing, nothing. He lived in one of the worst neighborhoods in, um, in the country or in the city in the country that has the highest murder rate in the world, right? Tegucigalpa, Honduras. He um, dodged violent crime his entire life, was an excellent soccer player, was working hard to make make ends meet for himself and his family as a 17-year-old kid, and he wanted to give a rich American a pair of soccer cleats, not because he had an excess of money that he was just throwing around the neighborhood, but because he was a person who had developed a, um, a generous spirit and heart. It was not out of his wealth that it was given, it was out of his poverty. We will not become more generous people when we have more. We will become more generous people when we allow the Spirit of God to change who we are. Number four, generosity does not wait for an invitation, but eagerly seeks out the needs of others. I don't know if you're developing a generous heart, a generous spirit, a generous countenance among yourself. Generosity does not wait for an invitation, but eagerly seeks out the needs of others. You will know when a generous heart is beginning to take root in you when you no longer wait only until you're asked. You can do it when you're asked as well. You can be generous when you're asked, but when you are no longer waiting to be asked to be a generous person, you know that now a generous heart and spirit is being developed in you. Let's see it in the scripture here. In uh, chapter 8, verse 3, for I testify that they, the Macedonians, gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability, second part of verse 3, listen, entirely on their own. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. That, that they took the intentionality to come to Paul and be like, hey, look, how, we, we see, this is a need that's coming. We see it coming. How can we get involved? We want to do it. We want to jump on board, right? They took the invitation, they took the initiative to do it. Generosity does not wait only for an invitation, but eagerly seeks out the needs of others. Lord, you have entrusted this to me. I like now I'm I'm like I'm locked on. Like laser-like focus. Crosshairs of my spirit, Lord, where can I be generous now with what you have entrusted me with? Where can I be generous with the things that I have? Lord, I'm looking and 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 the Lord will reveal where we have opportunity to be generous when our hearts are oriented towards that reality. Number five, generosity is rooted in the very life and ministry of Jesus. If you don't get anything else, get this, right? Everything always comes back to and centers around the life and ministry and nature of who Jesus is, right? That generosity is rooted in the very life and ministry of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Look here what Paul says. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That rooted in, that our generosity to others is rooted in the very example of Jesus himself who was rich, is rich beyond measure, right? He is the agent of creation. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. It says the world is his footstool, right? There is nothing in all of creation that exists outside the breath of his mouth, outside the grace of his presence. He lacks and needs for nothing. But yet Paul says in Philippians chapter two, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, he became like us so that in him we would know the extravagant love of God. And here, Paul is bringing the Corinthians back to this reality once more. Is that though Jesus was rich, he himself became poor so that through his poverty we might be rich to others. That the generous heart and spirit is rooted firmly and cannot be removed from our understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do. And until you understand that Jesus emptied himself of all his heavenly riches on our behalf, you will have no firm foundation to move forward in your own generosity because it will only be your flesh that is responding. 
We stand firmly on the truth that it is all generosity is rooted in Jesus' self-giving to us. Number six, generosity seizes the opportunity to help carry the burdens of others. I'm going to tell you right now, Americans hate this one. Okay? We hate it. I don't care. It's very clear in Scripture that generosity gives us the opportunity to help carry the burdens of others. Yes, even the people that you deem not worthy of it. Even the people that aren't working hard enough for your generosity. Yes, even them. Right? There is no qualification on it. Right? There is, there is no, there, there, there's been no like application process for the generosity that comes from heaven through Jesus to you and to others. We have this absolute obsession with, with holding back our generosity because, well, it's our job to steward the things that God has, has given to us. And if we give them in a way that's, that's wasteful. Yes, we're not wasteful with what God has given to us. But did you know that the chief goal of God's blessing in your life is not to protect it from others, but to give it generously whenever you have opportunity? Well, I don't give because I don't know what they're going to do with it. It's not your job to know. It's not your job to know. And it's none of your business, right? Let the Lord deal with that. We respond in generosity because of how Jesus has been generous to us. Is Jesus asking you the question, what are you going to do with the things I'm giving to you? Are you responding affirmatively every time? The blessing from heaven that comes through Jesus, being like, oh yeah, I steward that gift 100% every time. Get it. You're a liar. We are, not uh, we are not advocating here. Well, let's see what Paul says here first. I'm not just making this up. I'm not just angry about it, although I am a little bit angry about it, right? But I'm angry about it because it's here, okay? Verse 13 of chapter 8. What does Paul say? He says, he says, look, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Another thing that we don't really like too much Our flesh cries out, Lord, have mercy on us. Verse 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. Look, Paul here himself is not advocating for our poverty so that others can be rich. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying give away all of your provision and become poor so that you can make someone else rich. He's actually saying not that, he, he flat out says the exact opposite. 
our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Paul, Paul elsewhere advocates and admonishes the church in other, in other areas, for instance, in his letter to 1 Timothy, about how, about how if there are needs among the community of faith, right, that, yeah, there, there are some considerations that can be made for people. He, in the, the uh, actual example that he uses in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is for, um, is for widows, right? You have someone who, uh, you have someone whose husband has died in the context of the community of faith. Okay, whose responsibility, Timothy asked Paul, whose responsibility is it to care for the needs of the widow? And Paul runs down through this list. Well, does she have family? And how old is she? And what, what, does she have any sons or daughters? And are they taking care of them? What other Christians are around them, right? So that there's, it's not, it's not even as if Paul is just advocate, advocating for this laissez-faire, you know, throwing $20 bills to anyone who would want one, right? But what he's also saying is that, is that there's a implicitly, that there is a tendency in our flesh for us to say, this is mine, I have earned it, and then sometimes we baptize our greed by saying, well, this is mine, I have earned it, but you know, I just I feel like the Lord is just asking me to steward this faithfully, and I'm not really sure if I can trust this person with how they're going to use it or where it's going to go or anything like that. Shame on us. Listen, listen, I am not worried a single iota, not one bit. I lose sleep over a lot of things. What I don't lose sleep over is standing before the Lord someday and him being like, you know, you really didn't steward that paycheck very well when you were generous with it. Do you know what that person did with that, with that gift? Do you know what that person did when you blessed them? Do you know, do you know what they went about? and did? I have no doubt whatsoever that, that Jesus, that I'm not going to stand before Jesus and be like, you were way too generous and not discerning enough. But what I do anticipate is that if the Holy Spirit doesn't change the nature of my heart, that he may say, the things that I gave you to bless my people you thought were only for you, and you refused to be a blessing when the need was right in front of you and you knew it, but you made a horrible excuse. That is where judgment will come. That is where it's going to hit. Listen, the greatest relationship that you have with money and possessions is not as its protector. You do not need to protect it. The greatest relationship that we have is to be a generous conduit of the things that the Lord is giving to us. All right, we're going to go into chapter 9, but don't worry, we don't have many left, okay? 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Okay? I'm going to be quick, as quick as I ever am, right? But listen, go down to chapter 9, verse 6, okay? Paul continues in his letter to the Corinthians, and this is where it gets so good, (laughs) in a hard way, right? 
It gets so good here. Paul continues here. He says, remember this. We'll read 6 through um, 14, and then we'll come back, okay? Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what they have decided to give in their own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to talk, we're, we're going to dissect that whole, we're going to dissect this whole section next week a little bit more, okay? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Stop there. Listen, there are some heavy, heavy truths here. Okay? The first is this, right in verse 6, it's impossible to miss right? It's, an impos it's impossible to miss. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There is no fancy seminarian, theologian, original language interpretation of this other than the obvious one. Generosity is received in your life in proportion to generosity that is given. Generosity is received in your life in proportion to the measure by which generosity is expressed. I don't even have my I don't even have any notes for this one. I, I just have that, right? That's it, right? That, that, there, that there is, that, that Paul is perfectly, fully, black and white, clear as crystal in this, in this point, right? That when we reap, or when you sow sparingly, when you spread few seeds of generosity, you will reap very little fruit from it. Like, well, uh, I, I don't know about you, Pastor, but I don't give so that I can receive from the Lord. Well, you're more Christian than I am, okay? But listen, the Lord's really clear, right? There is a reaping that is coming for you, okay? You, will re you, you, you reap something, 
right? So let's not get self-righteous about our generosity so as to like protect the motives when it's really, really clear that the Lord is like, hey, listen, um, I have fruit for you if you'd like. If, if, you, if you sow generously, you, you're gonna reap generously. Like, and, and who of us would stand in a position of saying, well, no, Lord, I'm good. I'm good. No, I just want to give, and I don't want anything in return from you, Lord. Like, and what, what I'm saying is like, if the Lord is saying, hey, give generously, receive generously. I'm like, okay. Like, okay, right? Because Why? Why? One, because... It's a gift from the Lord, and anytime we say no to the things that the Lord gives us, we should be, like, reassessing, okay? Re reassess the motivation there. If the Lord is like, I want to give you something, I, I have a gift for you because you've proven yourself to be faithful with, with what I've already given to you, and you're like, no, thanks, I'm good. I'm good. Reassess that, okay? Go back to the beginning there. And because you, you want everything that the Lord wants to give to you. You do. Right? And, and in situations like this, you, you, want the, you want the overflow of the blessing that comes from sowing generously. But you, what the Lord is also doing is like, hey, this, you're, you're being faithful with what I'm giving to you. Let me give to you more because there are more people in need of the generous spirit of my children. The more in which we receive, the more opportunity we have to be generous. Number eight, generosity is the expectation God has for his provision in your life. Lord, what do you expect me to do with all the things that you have given to me for my provision? Be generous with it. That's what I expect. Generosity is the expectation that God has for his provision over your life. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Generosity is the expectation that God has for his provision in your life. These next two are my favorite part. It's my favorite part. Ready? Pastor's favorite part of the sermon. You ready for it? You with me still? Okay. Generosity generates Okay, we'll, we'll do, we'll do two, two of them in one, all right? Generosity generates thankfulness to God, and generosity generates worship of God. Generosity generates thankfulness to God. Generosity generates worship to God. We'll say it like this, okay? Well, let's read the scripture, and then we'll say it. And then, uh, verses, let's see, 11, 12, and 13. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
Number one, what's Paul saying here? Right? Hey, listen, Corinthian church, you give this, you, you be generous here, right? We take the gift and we go and proclaim the gospel in that place. Through us, your generous gift results in thankfulness and thanksgiving to God. We're going to come back to that in just a second. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, right? The service of generously giving. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Have you ever experienced this scenario where you have received a blessing? Let's say a financial blessing. You have experienced a financial blessing. Someone has given you a gift. Uh, you received something. But listen, but you didn't know where it came from. Someone, somewhere, blessed you. It was an envelope at one time that you don't know where it came from, but it was full of money. Right? Or um, it was a gift that you have received and you got it completely unaware that it was coming, unexpected, didn't know that it was going to be there. It just kind of plopped down on your doorstep and maybe it's a small thing and maybe it was a really big thing. But nevertheless, you got it and you didn't know who to thank. Who did you thank? Why? Because that's where it came from, right? That generosity, generosity often and primarily leads to the person who receives the generosity experiencing it as a gift from God himself, right? And so they they respond in an expression of thankfulness and worship to him. And so through our generosity, generosity has the ability to generate thankfulness and worship to God. We can actually use the things that God has given and entrusted to us to generate thankfulness and worship in the life of those around us Amen. as we give generously to them beyond their recognition that it came from us. Amen. Generosity is what catalyzes the spreading of the gospel. It's very, very clear here. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Listen, it is completely reasonable to suggest that without the generosity of the poor churches in Macedonia, we would not have the letters to the Corinthian church or the Roman church. Because it was out of their extreme generosity to Paul's and Paul and his missionary journey 
that the churches there received, or the people there received the proclamation of the gospel, believed it by faith, and then went out and spread their, and, and then went and sent missionaries out from their own midst to do it other places. It is staggering. It is staggering the effect that one act of generosity has on the spreading and catalyzing of the gospel. Listen, I want you to come back next week, okay? I really do, all right? I want you to come back next week. We're, it's going to be a barn burner of a sermon on tithing. You're going to love it. You're going to love it, okay? Listen, but like, I'm trying to, build, right, trying to build some anticipation here because a lot of us are like, well, what, how, do, how, how do I be generous? I don't know even like, I don't know what that means to be, I, like I hear you and I see it, but like now how do I actually practically go about being a generous person, right? I got news for you. The Lord's got a plan for generosity. It's called tithing as a first step, right? Tithing is a first step in generosity. And so we're going we're gonna to look at what, what generosity or what tithing is in Scripture, how, how, the Lord, how Jesus himself talks about it, right? Uh, what its purpose is in the life of the church. And hopefully, um, maybe, I don't, I don't want to say demystify, but like, let's just pull back the curtain and talk about the hard things. I know, like, whatever, I'm not going to make any excuses. It's in the scripture, it's important, we're going to talk about it because it's good for your life. It's good for your soul, right? All right. Uh, let's pray as the worship team comes forward. And um, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for the churches in Macedonia in the first century. Lord, I don't know if, um, if I am downstream of, if my salvation is downstream from the generosity of the Macedonian churches, but I know something is like, uh, I came to faith, Lord, we came to faith, because other people were generous at some point. Other people, Lord, they, uh, they provided environments, opportunities, teachings, places, buildings, events. They bought us lunch. They bought us coffee. They took us in. They provided for our needs. That out of their generosity, there became a point at some, somewhere, sometime, like where their generosity was pivotal in our coming to know you by faith. And so, Lord, whoever that person was in my life, whoever those people were, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the generosity of heart that was in them. Lord, and I pray that you would make us a people here who are so overwhelmingly generous with those around us that there would be hundreds, if not thousands of people someday who trace the trajectory of their faith back to this room and people who are committed to being generous with what you have provided for them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given to us to use your resources to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.
Heavenly Father, would you create in us where there is hardness of heart, a sensitivity of spirit to receive the grace of giving. Lord, may we be the people who are the most generous people that others have ever met because of your extraordinary generosity extended to us in and through Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Mm -hmm.